you would, please turn to your Bibles to Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Uh, you can also follow along the insert in your bulletin. The parable of the prodigal son. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we had, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, as, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that, I, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. At the very beginning of Luke 15, we're told that, so this is before we read um, 15 verse 1, we're told that tax collectors and sinners were drawing around Jesus to hear his teachings. And then the Pharisees and scribes, these respected holy people of society, they grumbled because Jesus, unlike them, received sinners and tax collectors and ate with them. And noticing this, Jesus tells three stories about the lost being found. And the first parable which we didn't read, is the parable of the lost sheep, then the parable of the lost coin, and then finally the third one, uh, which has been known by various titles, including the two sons, the running father, and the loving father. And most famously, it's known as the prodigal son. But I like the loving father the best. Um, so, sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, and scribes. You couldn't have chosen two more different groups of people. They're on complete opposite sides of the social spectrum. The outcasts and the upright citizens of society, or even Democrats and Republicans. I don't know if that might be a stretch, but 
Um, uh, so Jesus' message is to both of these types of people who are there listening to him. Those who've messed up their lives by making bad decisions, those who've made all the right moves and are well-respected. But in the end, the message is, I think, particularly for those who think they've got it all together, regardless of what society thinks of you. In the passage, these are the scribes and Pharisees, the religious. The message is mainly to them because it turns out they were in the most danger of rejecting God. The parable can be seen as being divided in two acts. Act one, we can call the lost younger brother, and act two, the lost older brother. Jesus does at least three things in the telling of this parable. He redefines God, redefines sin, and redefines salvation. These are going to be the three main sections of this sermon for those of you taking notes. And if this sounds familiar, that's because I referred to Tim Keller's work on uh, this sermon. If you want more in-depth information, uh, go to Tim Keller. He's got a great sermon and a great book on it. Um, So let's jump right in. The first thing Jesus does is redefine God. If you put yourself in that time and place when Jesus was telling the story, the ancient Near East, um, as Jesus tells the parable and describes these characters in the story, what kind of father would you imagine? You would have thought about a typical wealthy Middle, Middle Eastern patriarch who's stern and dignified and self-composed, wearing these fancy robes. Now, imagine how surprised you would have been at the descriptions of the father's behavior towards his sons after they treat him the way they do, with little to no respect. And of course, he would be deserving of all the respect. So in Act 1, here comes the younger son. He approaches his father and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait any longer. He's basically saying, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine. The younger son rejects his father and only wants to have his wealth. How do you think this typical father from that kind of a culture would have reacted? He would have been angry. He would have uh, said certain choice words, driving his son out of the house with blows, maybe. But this father in the story does not react in that expected way. He doesn't drive his son out with smacks to the head or angry words. This father is grieved, yes, we can tell, but he gives the young son what he asked for. He gives him his inheritance. The father takes the estate, divides it up, divides the wealth between the sons, and gives the younger brother what was his. Instead of lashing out, the father endures his son's rejection. The younger son then goes out to live as he wants, squanders everything, and it isn't until he's hit the very bottom that he realizes he's been really stupid. And then he comes up with a plan to become one of his father's hired men, to pay off at least a little bit of what he's done against his father, and to try to work himself back into the family. He even has this whole speech prepared in his mind, but when he comes back, what happens? The father sees him from afar and runs out to him. He runs out. This guy with his fancy robes probably picking up, you know, and running. That's not what a typical wealthy, dignified patriarch would do. And then the son starts to give a speech. 
but the father won't let him. He interrupts his son, and he says to his servants, Get the robe, put the family ring on him, honor my son who is returned. The father brings the son back in. He doesn't let him earn his way back into the family. Then there's a celebration with music and dancing and barbecue. It's a great party. Act 2 begins in verse 25. Why is the older son upset? And how does the father react? Let's look at what happens. In that time and place, one of the most expensive things to do for someone was to slay the fattened calf for a feast. In those days, people rarely had meat to eat because it was so expensive. So here's the older son outside, sulking, steaming with rage. And as we look at the passage, it seems that this is, this is the big deal for the older son. He's angry because the fattened calf was given to celebrate his younger brother's return. And what does the father do? The father goes to his oldest son to get him to come. But the older son is acting rudely, disrespectfully, and yet the father still wants him to come to the party. But there's the older son beside himself with anger and says to his father, look. He doesn't even address him as father, if you'll notice. He just says, look, you. How dare you use your wealth like this? I've obeyed you always, and you've never given me anything, not even a young goat. So what is this really all about? The older son is offended because his obedience didn't get him what he wanted. And what did he want? He wanted the father's wealth, just like the younger son did in Act 1. He didn't care about the father. The older son also rejects him. But the father, tenderly and heartbroken, says, Son, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Notice how the father doesn't use any angry words here either. He still wants his son to come to the party and celebrate with them. So in these two acts, we have a picture of God the Father that those listening to Jesus in that time perhaps couldn't believe. In this culture, God wasn't necessarily understood to be a warm, loving father. God was seen as righteous. Yes, he gave them the law. He was perfect and expected perfection in return. These characteristics are true. But a warm and loving father? Maybe not so much. But Jesus, who called God his Abba, his daddy, is illustrating an aspect of God's heart as a loving father, wanting his children to come home and moving out to them in love. The second thing Jesus does in the parable is he redefines sin. Jesus' descriptions of the younger son and the older son, what they do, how they relate to their father, these show us as sin as having two sides like a coin. Both sons want the father, want what the father has, excuse me, his wealth, and both do not love the father for who he is. And those are the two sides of the coin. They're the different ways in which the sons behave. One son, by being very bad, and the other son by being very good. Both in their badness and in their goodness reject their father and want only to have his wealth. In the first part, Jesus gives us a very traditional view of sinful behavior, which is disrespecting your father, coveting, 
lust, greed, etc. You know, sin that looks obviously bad. We can all agree these are bad things. They're right there in the Ten Commandments. But then in the second part, there's a different perspective, which is sin as a rejection of God that looks like being good on the surface. The good older son had never disobeyed his father. Yet in the end, the good son appears to be in danger of being lost, not the bad son. The bad one, the one who went to prostitutes, turns out to be saved. Each one of the sons used the father to get what they wanted. One of them did it by being very bad, and the other by being very good. I've never disobeyed you, says the older son. It is a good thing to be obedient. But notice how his pride gets in the way. His own righteousness in himself is what's keeping him away from the Father. Charles Spurgeon wrote about this kind of pride in, in one's self-righteous obedience. Listen to this uh, quote. There are some who seem burnt black with bigoted zeal for that part of truth which they have received, or are burned to a cinder with a vainglorious pharisaic ostentation of those religious performances which suit their humor. The assumed appearance of superior sanctity frequently accompanies a total absence of all vital godliness. I really like that quote. It's fun to read. There's a lot of, it's a cool rhythm going on there. In the audience, then, the tax collectors, the sinners, they know they're lost. They know they've done wrong. And that's why they love listening to Jesus. Because his teaching offers desperate sinners hope in a loving and forgiving God. A loving Father who will take you back. And that's great news. To the Pharisees and the scribes, the clean religious people, Jesus' message to them is very similar. It's the same. God will take you back, too. The problem is that the Pharisees don't know they're far away from God and just as lost as the obvious sinners. Jesus tells his two kinds of listeners here in the audience, you're both lost, but God is a loving Father. Jesus' teaching is also for you, and it's for me. Both forms of sin, both forms of rejecting God by flout-out rebellion, through your own goodness, both of these forms of lostness are terrible. The rebellious way, the one that says, I'll do whatever I feel like doing, leads to misery. You end up living in a pigsty. The other way, obeying God, being good, so that then God owes me, that leads to anger and resentment. And this passage, like all of Scripture, is here to be used as a mirror. Are you miserable? Are you angry at yourself or God? If you look deeper at the reasons behind the feelings, you're likely to find that you're trying to keep God from being Lord over some part of your life. At least I do. Um, growing up, I learned to be a good kid, not to not cause trouble in school, to be quiet and pay attention, to not be rude. I found safety in being thought of as a nice guy, and I learned to rely on my being nice to get what I wanted. And so when I didn't get what I wanted, which happens a lot, I would act nicely. I would have a smile on my face, but inside I would have resentment. I did everything right. Why aren't things going my way? Today I still have to deal with that same temptation. That temptation to believe that I have the means to earn God's blessing or that somehow God can love me more if I obeyed more. 
And I think many of you have a similar struggle. And perhaps some of you are in the middle of a resentment or several resentments. But this parable reminds us that God is a, is a good God. God's love does not let his children remain in anger and misery for long. God softens hearts so you can love and trust him. Jesus, in telling this story, wants his listeners, especially the self-righteous Pharisees who believe they are doing it the right way, to understand there's a way to find peace with God. So how do we get right with God? Which is the third thing Jesus talks about. He redefines salvation. How does reconciliation with God happen? Christianity doesn't preach that good people are saved and go to heaven while the bad people go to hell. Maybe the majority of our culture that believes in a God of some kind tends to think that's the case. But Christianity doesn't divide the world that way into good or bad people. In this parable, Jesus is asking us to take that idea and just chuck it out the window. The Bible says that every human being at the core has a heart that rejects God and wants to make itself right. So what does Jesus say about salvation then? How does it happen? We need to see the following things. We need to see what kind of God God actually is. We've seen that Jesus is teaching that God is a father who goes out running towards his children. That's his disposition. God is out there looking for his lost sheep. And as seen in the other two parables before this one, God doesn't stop until he saves his children, until he finds what is lost. So consider this parable and compare it to your beliefs about God. Who do you think God is? What image comes to your mind? Is he some kind of distant inventor or a genie in a lamp or, um, you know, rub the lamp, that comes a genie. Please, God, give me. I grew up not really understanding Christianity. Though my parents taught me about sin and God's forgiveness in Jesus, I never really uh, understood it until much later. I kind of thought he was like the cosmic police, that it was out to get me. Uh, so he can catch me messing up and then judge me and say, see, I knew it, I knew you were no good. That's the kind of God I had in my mind. Maybe you think God is kind of like Aristotle thought God was, the unmoved mover of the universe who just kind of winds up a clock and lets it go and stands back and doesn't get involved. Jesus says God is a father who moves to his children. He is love, kind, and gentle. Are you miserable? Have you made your life a disaster? He's not going to crush you if you come to him with your disaster. You don't need to clean up before God will take you in. The other thing that we need to see here is that you need to repent of more than just the obvious sins in your life. You also have to repent of your good works. I know Chuck has talked about that. It comes down to looking at the heart motive. We have to see the ways in which we try to save ourselves, both in our bad deeds and in our good deeds. I sometimes forget who my father is, and I tend to believe that I have to prove myself or find my own way. And I've been a Christian for several years now. Like the sons in the parable, I'm prone to believe that true happiness is found in other things apart from God. 
And I tend to believe that if I do enough good or even more Christian things like reading the Bible more often or praying for a longer period of time, that maybe then God will listen to me and give me what it is that I'm looking for. Sometimes I believe that if only I could be honest enough or devoted enough, then I will stop falling into those habitual sins that seem really hard to shake off sometimes. And then God will love me more. But Jesus says that God is not like that. He doesn't hold his nose. I struggle with the temptation of wanting to do everything right to earn God's love. But Jesus says that God's love is there for me. He's looking for me, and I do nothing to earn it. How do we know this? Because Jesus came to us. He was born as a man into this world, lived in the perfect way as God requires, and died the death that you and I were supposed to die. Jesus was rejected by God, his Father on the cross, for you and me, so we would become children of God who will never be rejected. The parable ends on kind of a cliffhanger. It's not really resolved. And I think it's this way because it's a question to those listening to Jesus, to both the outsiders and to the religious who thought that they were right in their own eyes. To anyone who thinks that their own way, their own understanding will lead them to salvation or even to find meaning in life. The parable asks a question to those who are seeking and to the believing Christian alike. Christian, God is a loving father. When you sin, do you return to him in repentance? If you respond by just knuckling down and doubling your own efforts to improve yourself, you will grow bitter and resentful. Perhaps some of you here today have not trusted in Jesus but are seeking. This parable says that God is seeking for you. You can't earn your way to God. You have to see God's love in action moving out to you by seeing what it costs to bring you home to him. Jesus living a perfect life for you, taking the penalty of sin on the cross for you. Let this soften your heart and find your home in him. Will you do it? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and for your Son. Thank you for his work on the cross. Help us to put more of our faith in him and make us to be more like him every day. Thank you for gathering us here today to hear your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen.